Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Fly on the Wall. My name is Christian. And I'm Kendall. And we have a fantastic episode ahead for you today. On this week's mm-hmm. pod, we're going to have Nadeem Elshami, who worked uh, on the Hill for 25 years and most recently was Nancy Pelosi's chief of staff. Uh, but way before that, he got his start in politics by working on the mailroom. Yeah, which is pretty cool. So we have a great interview with him coming up. Um, first off, follow us on social media at, at Fly on the Wall Pod. <laughs> yep, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, we're on all the things, uh, so please add us. Um, cool, so we're going to get right into the segment wheel now. Um, does somebody want to spin that wheel? There you go. Ooh, not that one. Yep, mm. right there. Mm. Ah. Okay. It's Did You See That? Okay, so, Kendall, did you see that... Uh, both Nancy Pelosi and Paul Ryan spoke on Nadim's last day on the Hill. I think that's really interesting. I, I wonder, I don't know, how would you feel about that? Ah, it's so cool. Um, I don't know. It's it's always fun to see some bipartisanship in Congress. And it's always kind of cool, too, to remember that um, these are, like, people. You right. know what I mean? They care about, they work together every yeah. day and they care about each other, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so if you haven't seen these speeches, go check them out. Um, they are, like, very sweet. Uh, do you want to spin that wheel again? Okay. Huh? Okay. It's, who said that? Who said that? All right, Kendall, so I am going to ask you um, who said this quote, and you're going to have to give a guess. Um, ready? No. Can uh, I ask you? <laughs> <laughs> All right, sure. Yeah, you okay, can ask here. me. I'm asking. All right, so Christian. <clears throat> All right, Christian, I'm going to ask you who said this quote, and you are going to have to guess. Um, all politics is local. Ooh. Uh, Do you have any ideas? I have an idea. I can um, give you a hint. Oh, you have a hint? Yes. Uh, okay. I was a former Speaker of the House. Oh. Um, okay. So my original guess was actually going to be Marlon Marshall, who was on this podcast and actually made this case that all politics was local when he was on a pod. So if you haven't uh, listened to that interview, go check it out. Um, but I think uh, I think this was Tip O'Neill. Yeah, like, you it got was? it. it hey, okay. Um, I was like, this doesn't sound like John Boehner. So <laughs> um, cool. All right. Uh, so let's get into the interview. Um, so this week, as we said earlier, we have Nadim Alshami on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, just a fantastic guy to talk to and hang out with. Really, really a very sweet guy. A really good interview. It was actually, um, recorded on his last day working here at Geopolitics. Which, which is, is really sad. Very sweet. Um, so we're going to miss Nadim. Uh, but with that, let's get into it. Nadeem Alshami, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, we are excited to finally have you in your last week here at Georgetown. Uh, last day. Is it your last day? Yeah, this oh, is so it. So sad. Yeah. Uh, well, we're glad we finally caught you. Um, we're excited to do this one. Uh, so let's dive right in. All right. Um, so you have a unique story about your start in politics. So can you share that with us? Yes, actually, I started off delivering mail. And uh, when I say delivering mail, I mean really delivering mail. <laughs> I was in the basement of the Dirksen office building. And what I was doing is uh, with a team and we'd get all the mail that comes into the United States Senate. We'd sort it, we'd put it on carts, and we'd walk around different floors delivering it to different offices. So it was 
one of the greatest experiences of my life because I got to meet a lot of people. I got to be surrounded by people who are more like me, just college graduates trying to make it on the hill. Uh, older folks who actually like the job because it provided benefits. Uh, those who are kind of in between jobs. Um, those who work part time. So you kind of got a microcosm of America, mm-hmm. and that was uh, it. Was a lot of fun, you know, <laughs> really was. And interesting people and interesting experience. I wouldn't trade it for the world. So um, I think one of the coolest things about your story is you spent, you know, about 25 years on Capitol Hill. I mean, you didn't jump right from the Senate mailroom uh, into Nancy Pelosi's chief of staff. No. Um, you really uh, you really worked your way up. But I feel like for a lot of Georgetown students, that's a really inspiring message to hear. Um, so how did you um, how did you work your way up? How did you make yourself, you know, the most essential person in the office? Sure. I mean, it's it's. Uh... It's like this. You start off by being in the mailroom and you see that as an opportunity to get to do internships. So it was an afternoon job. So I did internships in the morning. And that was a way to learn about the process, learn about the different offices, actually be in an office for a couple hours before I went down to the mailroom. And that helped me get into Senator Boxer's mailroom. So you're finally in a, you know, in, a, in an office, you're finally in a senator's office and you're beginning to learn about the whole process so you do your job and you ask for more mm-hmm. you know you do your job well and you ask for more to do on the side whether it's to write letters whether it's to answer phones whether it's to learn about the communications department and i think this is what's important you know you are going to be provided an opportunity to get into an office to work for a senator or for a congressman or for a committee which is a very, you know, very few people get that chance. You take whatever job it is, you work hard, and you learn, and you ask for more, and you become indispensable. So when there's an opportunity comes up to look at you and say, you know what, he's actually, or she's actually someone who could do a better job, who could do a bigger job. Great. It's always nice to hear, I feel like, too, uh, especially every time, you know, we talk to Hill Turns. Uh, it's yeah. always like, you know, how many tours did I give today? <laughs> um, you never know who you're going to run into in one of those tours. You could run into someone, for example, who was a very close friend of the congressman or the congresswoman. You gave them the most terrific tour ever. They mentioned something to him or to her. And then all of a sudden, you're graduating, and then you're being offered a position as a staff assistant on the job. Mm-hmm. You just never know who you're going to run to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's and that's always important to remember. Um, yeah. The you know the intern today could be the chief of staff tomorrow. This is true. We have one here first. <laughs> um, so let's dive right into uh, your work in uh, Speaker Pelosi's office. Um, and I want to start first with the Affordable Care Act, which is kind of you know the crown jewel of uh, Speaker Pelosi's leadership. Um, talk to us about you know the communications push for the ACA. What was that like? Who were you talking to? You know, what was a typical strategy session like in your office? Um, it was hectic. Let's just say <laughs> that. And it was a very complicated piece of legislation. Um, a lot of, you, you take a look at the whole healthcare system and you're trying to make it accessible to everyone uh, while gar- guaranteeing some benefits, right? So you have to kind of simplify all that into what it means with the ACA. Mm-hmm. Um Plus, you also had to fight the fight against those who are saying there were death panels and it's going to destroy our economy, it's going to destroy the American healthcare system, which were all proven 
untrue till this day. Mm-hmm. Untrue. Um, so a typical strategy session is, okay, what is the message that we're going to be driving today on the positive side? Mm-hmm. What exactly are we going to be fighting from the other side that we're hearing? Who are we going to put up on TV? What are going to be the talking points? Who's going to be speaking on the floor? Uh, because it was a, you know, it took a while to pass it. People forget that. They think it happened right away. It took a very long time. With committee hearings, uh, amendments that were adopted in the committees, including by Republican and Republican amendments that were adopted on the floor. Um, you know, the interesting thing is we had something called a health care hotline. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of people know about this. But this was a group of staffers and uh, policy staffers who folk, you know, from the various committees, from the leadership, and anyone on Capitol Hill from the Democratic side could email the healthcare hotline mm-hmm. and with a question. And a lot of the questions were actually uh, gave you a look into what the attacks from the other side are going to be. All right. mm-hmm. Because members are getting these calls in their, you know, perhaps a couple of calls in their offices and their staff were just saying, well, we don't know what that is. So they emailed the healthcare hotline. Mm-hmm. We had great t-shirts made. <laughs> um, but, uh, so that was, that was something that was, that was provided. And it was a constant battle. And it was, the meetings were long. And I, I just told, don't know how Speaker Pelosi did it at the time because she literally never slept. And, you know, you'd have the reporters hanging outside the, the, you know, the speaker's office at two o'clock in the morning and I'd feel bad for him. I have to bring him out chocolate and pistachios. This was what we had, you know. <laughs> um, so um, it, would, it was just, it was an ongoing process. No question. Right? Yeah. Well, and it's been said that um, Speaker Pelosi is the reason that the ACA made it across the finish line. So yeah. how did you, what role did you have in selling that legislation to the right people in those critical moments? Well, the last, you had to provide them with the information, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so the speaker would talk to the various members and say, and they'd say, well, we have an issue that is rearing its head in my district, or I'm, I'm worried about this particular provision. You'd have to explain to them. So you work with the policy staff um, and you provide, and then the policy staff would talk directly to the member. And from the communication side, we try to shape a, a few points uh, that we give to the communications people on, on, on the member staff to say, you know, in case he gets asked questions, here are the best talking points. And then we'll provide you the background through our policy staff. Um, but at the end, she, the Speaker Pelosi knew everything that he could possibly know about the health care bill. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was surrounded by some incredible um uh, staffers who've been doing this for a very long time and who are dedicated, but but she knew it. So when she was talking to members or when she was convening those members um, and having these, these deep, in-depth discussions about health care, she, she really was amazing. And, um, and it was constant until mm-hmm. the end, until the end. So what is what are those, you know, uh, you were talking about it, you know, convening yeah. with those certain swing vote members. Yeah. You know, I feel like a lot of times, you know, you see on CNN that like a leader has strong armed someone into, uh, you know, getting piece of legislation passed. You know, what does that actually look like? Yeah. Uh, let me tell you, she doesn't strong arm anyone. She okay. listens. Uh, 
she answers questions, she asks questions, she tries to find the solution. And she often talks about, you know, weaving that, you know, that it's just it, all pieces kind of fitting together. Because if you remember the Democratic caucus at the time, it was you had the progressives, yeah, you had the moderates, you had the blue dogs, which were the conservatives. The first step, which people also forget about that, is you had to get it, you had to introduce the bill, mm-hmm. right? And then you had to get it through committee. And on that committee, Energy and Commerce Committee, there was a lot of conservative Democrats. Uh, but you had to get enough votes on enough amendments, you know, protect certain amendments, and then get a, enough votes to get it through. So that bill was structured a little differently than the final bill. Um, but but, but the, the, the beauty of, of watching the speaker work is she should be sitting across in a conference room, like long conference room, should be sitting usually on the end. And, you know, they'd have people on each side. And I remember one of the longest meetings, it was on an issue that didn't break down conservative versus progressive lines or anything. Mm -hmm. It was regional. So like, you know, the Northeast versus the, it was just, it was just, it was kind of a crazy combination. Yeah. Yeah, people, that's right. Um, and it's like, you know, our states are going to be hit, you know, if we don't take care of this and, and the other side saying, no, no, our states are going to be hit. And that was literally that could have sunk the healthcare bill. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she sat everybody down. Um, the meetings went back and forth. Then they came back and had another very long meeting, um, series of them actually, until they reached consensus. The smaller meetings in her office are the ones that are usually pretty frank. Okay. Um, and, you know, yeah, she explains to people why it's good to vote for it, why it's important to vote for it. But the strong arming, no. Mm-hmm. Just when her voice really goes down, I think people know that she's... It's serious. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Fly on the Wall. We'll be right back. All right, this week's Tweet of the Week comes from NPR, um, and it's a headline for their article, Peace at Hand, Korean Leaders Meet for a Historic Border Handshake, um, with a picture of Kim Jong-un and uh, South Korean President Moon Jae-in uh, meeting at the border. Um, solid, solid pun out of NPR's social media staff. Um, they do pretty well. <laughs> I didn't get that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know it was a pun. So we want to move a little bit to the economic downturn and talk a little bit about that yeah. um, and what it was like to be in leadership during one of the worst economic crises in American history when yeah. a lot of the nation's people are looking towards Congress for a solution. Yeah. Um, so how did you feel this pressure in your own job? It was scary, actually. It really was because it was a series of conversations and phone calls and, and late phone calls and um, that we you know, find out whether the administration is kind of briefing the speaker, Pelosi, at the time. Um, you know, she has told the story many times, but, um, she called it the, um, secretary of the treasury, Hank Paulson at the time. I said, you know, Hank, I haven't heard from you. He goes, well, 
can I come and brief you? She goes, well, you could come and brief me. You know, that's fine. We could talk next week. He goes, no, I, I think I want to come today. And I think I want to bring the Fed chair with me. And I think it would be good if you get the whole leadership, Republicans, Democrats, and the House and the Senate together. Wow. Um, so we knew that was serious. And, and I think it was, I can't remember what night that was. But they think about, just imagine for a second in your head that you have President Bush's Treasury Secretary, the Fed Chair, Speaker Pelosi, uh, at the time Republican leader Boehner, then Mitch McConnell and Harry Reid, mm -hmm. and then you had the chairman of the banking committees on each side, uh, uh, banking and the House and finance on the, I think on the, yeah, I think on the Senate, or maybe I'm wrong, but it, they start talking back and forth and got to a point at the end where uh, the Fed chair said, if we don't act, if Congress doesn't act, we won't have an economy by Monday. Yeah. You got some powerful people in the room. Yeah. Um, and somehow they all, if you look, if you go back and, and look at the picture of them all standing there saying Congress is going to act in a bipartisan way, I think it was a Friday actually, when we met, Thursday or Friday, then, uh, they look pretty, uh, pretty worried. So what did that action look like? Um, you know, we've kind of learning about it today, you know, um, we learned about the various different solutions to, you know, the economic downturn. But I feel like we always look at it with, you know, 2020 hindsight. Yeah. So at the time, you know, what was it like getting these support for these various economic bills? Um, and yeah. with the added fact that, you know, you have a Fed chair who's telling you you aren't going to have an economy next week. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, we what the administration wanted, the Bush administration wanted was, I think, $800 billion that would be direct, directed by the uh, Secretary of the Treasury. Mm -hmm. Give the Secretary of the Treasury access to $800 billion. He will go and save these various institutions. Mm -hmm. um, so the bill that they sent us was a page, well, literally three pages long. It wasn't giving him that authority. Mm -hmm. We said, no, it's not going to work. That's why it took a while to get this, the TARP, the, mm -hmm. you know, bill passed, which... Save the economy, but it was viewed as this is hard to sell, right? You're saving big banks, right? But these banks collapsed, and people's four hundred one ks collapsed, and they can't really their economic system just kind of folds up on itself. So we had to take that action with protections in it, and it was paid back. So, um, so you had to deal with that part. They also had to deal with the housing crisis mm -hmm. that created this whole mess. Um, and that's. When Democrats continued to be in control, you know, later, and then President Obama was elected, I mean, the two priorities was, you know, well, first of all, we passed the stimulus. Mm -hmm. People kind of forget about that. Then healthcare and Dodd-Frank. Mm -hmm. Those were kind of the three pillars that we right. had to, you know do in order to stabilize the economy, give people access to money and, 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 and grow the economy and 
and provide healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, we were getting calls from, and then you had the auto industry too collapsing at the same time. It was a rough time. I mean, it's just, it really was. It was just... What was it like? I mean, I feel like, um, what was it like to gain, you know, some sort of bipartisan consensus on these bills? Because, you know, there were so many competing interests at the time. Um, yeah. And it, it, it really does feel like, you know, this was such a big national emergency uh, that we needed to get something done regardless of partisanship. So what was, what was you know, what was that like? Uh, partisanship was alive and well during that time. <laughs> it always is. Yeah. So... You know, I, I have a lot of respect for Speaker Boehner. Um, and at the time, as leader, he really couldn't get the... She told him that we, as a speaker, Pelosi said, we'll deliver this X votes. He said, well, I'm not sure I could. She goes, well, you have to have that many votes for, for us to pass TARP. Otherwise, mm-hmm. pass this package that we kind of... So... And this is how low at the moment I guess I guess in our in our in our history. Mm-hmm. Um, she went out there and she and before the vote, the bills on the floor debate, she gave a scathing indictment of the policies that caused this. Mm-hmm. You know, that's her right as a speaker and to say that we gave the number of Democrats, and then the vote was called, we gave the number of Democrats. Republicans decided not to, a lot of Republicans decided not to vote for it. They weren't anywhere near it. Mm-hmm. You could watch the, the Dow Jones just just crumble. Mm-hmm. Then they went out there and they blamed her because she gave a strong speech. That's how low we got at that moment. And I think, which we just, <laughs> it took a couple of days for Republican core heads to prevail and and we had to vote again in, in the past. Um, but some members who voted for it knew that it was a very unpopular vote. Because it's hard to explain. What you, You've given all this money, supposedly, to these mm-hmm. banks. But what does it mean for me, you know, for my constituents? So it was an easy vote to vote mm-hmm. against, but a very tough vote um, to vote for. And uh, But they did the right thing at the end of the day. So I think maybe that part is probably one of the most partisan acts I saw uh, in my time there. That was just that that really played with the uh, future of our economy potentially. Mm-hmm. Really put it back together somehow. Uh, we want to circle back to another partisan challenge sure. um, with the ACA because you were Pelosi's chief for the Republican um, fight to repeal the ACA. Yeah. Um, so how did you manage this fight, and what was what was strategy in that time? Stay united, and that's what it was. Don't go out there and give ideas of what we could do to maybe get Republican. They weren't. They wanted to repeal it when we were against repeal. Um, and that was the message directly from Leader Pelosi on. Uh, the members were incredibly united. Um and the groups were activated. It was a moment in time when the American people looked up and said, why are you going to take this away from us? And it's hard to take something away. Mm -hmm. Um, And they actually thought for a minute, well, I do like Obamacare. 
even though I thought I was getting ACA before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, uh, so I think that the biggest challenge was to remain united, remain on message. And the message, actually, credit to uh, the comps team, it was very simple. You know, and, and they got it and people repeated it and, and uh, um, it was it was just to the point of, of just and, and but you have to continuously give people activities, right? Because oh yeah, things are going well we'll be fine. But you have to figure out well who are we gonna put pressure on in order to make sure that, you know, they feel the heat back in their district if they're gonna vote to repeal. What groups are we gonna contact? Um, but I think it, in that moment, that was perhaps one of the best, being in the minority in, in that fight uh, was probably one of the best moments um, to be uh, a Democrat at that time, being in the minority. Look, I, I think being in the majority is a lot better. Yeah. Uh, but I think in, in that in that moment, um, the, the unity, the fight, the focus, the message discipline was fantastic. And it was all the way across. Uh, from the groups uh, if you ended up with 20 or 30 members who would say well maybe we could come up with this and there were attempts to do that but they waited they waited till the fight was done to come out and say look you know here's some things we could do to make it better or to fix it after the fight um, and that's credit to, to, to everyone so what was the biggest singular moment in that? I mean, because this was, you're, you're right in that it was not, a, it wasn't a single day where they decided to repeal and replace Obamacare. Yeah. Um, I mean, this was a, this was a months long fight. Yeah. What was the, what was the biggest, you know, I guess like turning point in that fight? You know, a single day where you said, we might win this or we're definitely going to lose this. Um, I think not until John McCain mm-hmm. voted. That was it. Um, but I think, but, you know, just because if it left the House and it went over to the Senate or, you know, didn't mean she stopped, right? Mm-hmm. She was coordinating with Chuck, um, with Schumer, and, and she, you know, trying to figure out what groups would put what pressure on what senators, um, what members would call. I mean, it was it was a... It was a, like it was a twenty four seven campaign that just continued on when it, when it left our chamber, you know, the mm-hmm. house chamber. Um, you know, I I had a feeling that she knew all along that she um, was going to succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, she has a lot of faith, and that just drives her and, and she felt that this was the right thing to do um, and uh, you know why she stuck around was for that fight and you know I'm glad she did she man she never wavered never wavered it's incredible and I'm sure there was like a moment when it was a sigh of relief when she she if she knew the whole time that it was going to hopefully go her way yeah. I'm sure there was a moment when you, you knew for sure and what was that like what was the celebration um, I mean, it was, it's just like when the Supreme Court held the law constitutional and she knew, she said it many times, and that's going to be held constitutional and reporters ask her, how did she know? Um, but, but it's that, you know, it's that 
kind of look at her face and it's just, and you look at the Democrats' face in general and it's just, it's joy, it's, it's elation, it's, it's just gratefulness. Um, you know, it's, we did this together, organizing inside and outside, what else can we do? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, it's, it was, um, Yeah, I mean, I was in the room with her when the Supreme Court upheld. And uh, she was watching TV. I think there was a picture of somehow I was in the background. Um, and she's just sitting there, I think, on her chair, one of her chairs, turning it and looking at the four monitors of TV. And, and um, yeah, I'll never forget that look, but it was just, it was, like, I told you so look, but also a relief for her. Mm-hmm. The American people. This week's Politicians is Real People comes from French President Emmanuel Macron, uh, who was in the United States uh, this week and actually went monumenting, which I think is really funny um, because, like, he has so many important things that he could be doing, and the fact that he, like, went monumenting which is like what i would do on a saturday is really funny (laughs) no that's really cool i actually have a friend who's in germs who was at the french embassy when he got here um which was really cool and i was really jealous but he looks he looks like a normal guy he does look like a normal guy um except that he runs france (laughs) (laughs) so fast forwarding a little bit um one of the one of the bigger things that's happened in recent years is kind of, you know, some sort of, I guess, backlash against Leader Pelosi. Um, and I'm thinking specifically towards, you know, Tim Ryan's bid um, sure. to lead yeah. the Democratic Party. When you guys found out that, you know, he was going to lead this bid, uh, how seriously did you take it? You know, what were you prioritizing? What was the strategy there to keep um, the leadership? Um, <laughs> let me be clear. She said, um, I have work to do. If you guys want to worry about it, go ahead. okay and and i'm being you know of course she talked to members and and so on um but she felt confident in in her support within the caucus she felt important um that um we stay on message as a caucus going forward um and i think he saw that and uh, i think the uh, caucus appreciated that um you know, that was a long process, but um, there were some other discussions that were taking place. Yeah, but she's, certainly she, you know, was involved, but, but we were dealing with an incoming president, mm-hmm. Trump, not President Clinton. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in the grand scheme of things, um, she felt strong and, and she did what she had to do. And, and while we worried, you know, not worry, but while we worked, um, you know, she had other things that she had to take care of, like be the voice of the House Democrats, you know, in coordination with the Senate Democrats and the outside groups uh, and other people uh, as we prepare for the administration of President Trump. Mm-hmm. And something I've seen too, uh, especially, uh, we saw it a bit in the 2016 campaign. I feel like we're seeing it more uh, in 2018, and correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of, I, I feel like a lot of Republicans like to run against Nancy Pelosi, regardless of, you know, yeah. if they're in her district, you sure. know, 
I feel like a lot of times they like to tout and almost take a joy in having her in the Democratic leadership. Um, why do you think that is? I mean, what's what's the reason for that? I think we could do a whole show on that, but it's <laughs> not... Her... Look, when, she, when, when you're an effective leader, then they come after you. And, mm-hmm. and she's willing to take the heat because it keeps it off her members. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've seen that with President Obama. We've seen that with others as well. Um, it's not unusual when they started doing that in 2010. Um, it's part of politics. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's going to continue. And, again, it's, it's her focus is on getting things done. And, 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 and politically speaking, it's, you know, no party should allow the other party to let them know who their leaders are, mm-hmm. you know, uh, determine their leadership. I think that's why that takes away from the, 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 the party apparatus, the caucus, making those decisions. Um, and that's important. That's something that, that, that members understand and, 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 and comprehend. But, um, you know, what happens. So on your last day on the Hill, um, Leader Pelosi gave you a nice tribute on the House floor, um, and most members of the House were present. And Speaker Ryan followed up with a nice speech about you as well. So can you talk about how you felt in that moment? Um, I... Embarrassed to be honest, I'm, I'm never, but um, thankful and then um, proud that my son and daughter were right there sitting next to me, and my wife and my oldest daughter were up in the gallery. And, and um, you know, and I, just for a moment there, I, you know, was like, wow, this is all coming to an end, and and uh. And while I, you know, felt sadness, I knew it was the absolute right decision. Um, I, I couldn't be any more thankful to, you know, Speaker Pelosi and Speaker Ryan and to all the members and, and my friends and staff and, and people who are on the Hill, like the, look, the, the police officers, the people who, in the cafeteria, I mean, there's so many people who have, uh, gotten to know and, and through the years and I do miss him uh, for sure um, but I know there's you know there's a next generation there's a new people doing the jobs and they're doing an incredible job it was just time for me to say thank you it was um, an amazing day that I'll never forget for the rest of my life what did it mean for you uh, especially in a time of it seems like such partisan gridlock to have, you know, the opposition speaker of the house, you know, speaker Ryan to go up and give such a nice tribute to you. Um, just shows that staff, uh, both Republicans and Democrats, um, we care about the institution as much as the members that we care about each other. Uh, while you may not see it, uh, it's true. It's a good moment. It's, it's, a uh, just a reminder to everyone that, You've got friends on both sides. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're going to transition into, we have two final segments for you. We're yeah. about wrapping up, yeah. um, but we have two final segments for you. We're going to do our hot take, which is where we record a voice um, who has you know, an opinion about a question that we ask, and we want you to respond to the question as well as um, 
his opinion. So we, the question that we have for you are hot take, uh, and Aaron will cue the, the fire sounds um, in the podcast. Um, so what is the role of a party leader? Is it to push through a party legislation priorities? Is it to support the caucus, to unify the members? Um, so we're going to play um, a clip from Abi, who's on our podcast team, who had some thoughts about this. So I think the party leader has multiple roles, um, both in the majority and minority party. So starting with the majority party, I think it's really important that they push their agenda while they have the majority, unifying members, trying to figure out what the different uh, caucuses and membership would like in the legislation, putting that in legislation so that they can push the legislation forward. And then especially in election years, um, helping down ballot candidates with their races and their elections. Right now we see uh, Speaker Paul Ryan raising millions and millions of dollars for the NRCC. So I think that's one really important goal in the majority party. For the minority party, um, it's really important to sort of uh, oppose any legislation or sort of push back against what the majority party wants, try to get their opinion in the legislation and create a consensus while also not looking that they're conceding a lot. And also with that, Chuck Schumer helping out um, down ballot Democrats, raise money and sort of unifying the party as they move into this election so that they could potentially take back the House and the Senate. So Nadim, your thoughts? I think that's exactly right. I think that's, that's it's about well, the most important thing for party leader on both sides, uh, minority or majority, is, is to unify your conference or your caucus. That's absolutely critical. And to drive the agenda and the message. Um, being in the majority, it's the opportunity to, to get your agenda enacted into law. Mm-hmm. And that's important. Being in the minority is to do exactly that, is to, is to, is to, to protect uh, your members from having to take tough votes is to, uh, if you can, is to ensure that they have opportunities uh, to uh, to showcase who they are, whether by introducing bills or, or other ways, um, and and to oppose legislation that's that's harmful to the uh, to the caucus. Great. Uh, so we're going to move into our final segment. Uh, it's our lightning round. Um, very. Tough questions ahead for you. Um, So we have three questions. Just, uh, you know, off the top of your head, uh, what your first thought is. So the first one, um, how does it feel to be on Politico's power list in 2017? Surprising and great. Great. Um, The worst part about transitioning into the private sector from the Hill? (laughs) Missing your friends, uh, for sure. No question about it. Um, And then in one sentence, what should be the Democratic message to voters in 2018? No, I'm not falling for that one. No, come on. <laughs> no way. <laughs> no, it's, they, they, they're, they're, you know what? Democrats are, are looking pretty good. Their, uh, uh, their message is, is resonating out there and, uh, you know, and they're, they're gonna be doing it. So, uh, not even one sentence. If it was that, if it was that easy, <laughs> you know. I think uh, I think you'll hear from uh, Leader Pelosi about what the message is All right. next week. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Nadim, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Uh, thank you, guys. Thank you so much for being at Georgetown this semester. I absolutely enjoyed it. Thank you to Georgetown. This was this was one of the greatest uh, uh, times. It was a great experience, and the students are amazing. Well, well-informed, tough questions all around, so thank you.
so thanks so much to Nadine for coming on this week's podcast. Uh, what a great guy to talk to. And it's always fascinating to talk to someone who worked on Capitol Hill for that long and then left because I feel like they have such a fascinating perspective um, working there for literally 25 years and then leaving to go into the private sector. I think that I think that transition sounds like it's a little bit difficult, but um, 25 years is a long time. It's a really long time. And it's hard work. It's not uh, not easy. It sounds like he had a uh, lot of pressure in his job. So. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much to Nadine for coming on. Uh, we will miss you here at Georgetown. Fantastic fellow. Um, if you guys and didn't really catch good his, guy. yeah. If you guys didn't catch his um, his discussion groups, you really missed out. He was a great guy to talk to. Um, great. Uh, so that ends this week's podcast. We are almost done with podcasts for the year. Uh, kind of scary. Uh, but don't worry. We still have a few episodes coming up before the end of the year. Um, or semester, I guess. Um, so check them out. They're pretty cool. Um, yeah. Remember to follow us on social media. And with that, happy Arbor Day. Yes, which is a thing I have recently learned. <laughs> Christian from California. Didn't know that Arbor Day was a thing. I literally had no idea that it was a thing. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thanks um, for listening. Cool. See you guys next week.